we're going to be in Mark 14. We're going to start with 26 through 31, and then we're going to go ahead to 66 through 72. This actually is going to be our last sermon in the book of Mark because uh, some of the things ahead we've already done Easter last year and also some of them we will be covering this year in Tenebrae. So Peter's denial is our last last story in the book of Mark. So stay tuned for what's going to be next. So we're going to be in uh, chapter 14. My dad was 70 years old when he had to undergo quintuple heart bypass surgery. This was a surprise to us as he was not overweight, nor had he ever smoked. However, in his family, four out of five of his siblings already had had similar procedures, so we might have thought that he was next, but he just seemed so healthy. In addition, we found out later that he had been ignoring serious chest pains for nine months. When we asked him about this and pointed out the foolishness of this choice, he said, I knew I could manage it. When I was working too hard and it began to hurt, I just stopped and would rest. We would stare at him in disbelief, and he would then point out to us how obviously his plan had worked, as he had not suffered a major heart attack. Warning signs are part of our lives. And it is up to us to decide what we do with them. There are, of course, actual warning signs that we are meant to heed, but sometimes they are confusing or not helpful, so we just try our best when we see them. This says uh, on a garment, wash inside out, remove child before washing. (laughs) This one has a sign that says give cyclists space in the bike lane. This one is like pedestrians, pedestrians use other footpath. There's nowhere for anyone to walk. And I love this one. Accidents are prohibited on this road. (laughs) Now, another reason why we ignore warning signs is because of what is called optimism bias a phenomenon that is widespread and seen in every culture. This is where the human brain underestimates the probability that a difficult event will ever happen to us because while we think it might, we know it probably won't. It's also called the illusion of invulnerability. This bias causes us to think that we are less likely to suffer misfortune and more likely to attain success even when reality suggests otherwise. Other people might face terrible situations, but our brains somehow trick us to believe that our chances of experiencing those negative things is lower. This might be why we say, oh, I never thought that would happen to me. Optimism bias can also lead to poor decision-making, perhaps also due to overconfidence or an inflated ego when humility might be better. Today, we study the passage of what happens to Peter after Jesus' arrest. And in the drama happening with the Lord in the council, Peter is nearby. And with his optimism bias, he is sure that he is not going to make the disastrous mistake that Jesus has predicted earlier. In Peter's denial of Christ, we see the warning signs that could have helped him. The ones that we need to look for as we ourselves are broken and perfect people when we're faced with challenging situations. So I'll read the passage, Mark 14, 26 through 31, and then 66 through 72. 
When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You all will become deserters, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter said to him, Ah, even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, Ah, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. While Peter was below in the courtyard, now to 66, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, You are also with Jesus, the man from Nazareth? But he denied it, saying, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And he went out into the forecourt. Then the cock crowed. And the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. Then after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you are talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Lord, we thank you that your word is alive, that you are here with us. And we ask, Father, we ask for your spirit to speak to us, as already you have been. Amen. There are a few questions we can't answer about exactly where this scene takes place. From all the gospel accounts, this is what we know. That they are at the home of either Caiaphas, the high priest, or his father-in-law, Annas, who has been the high priest and still wielded great power in the background. Over several decades, Annas had made sure that five of his sons, and now his son-in-law, held the lofty position of high priest. Some of the gospel writers have Jesus go uh, before Annas first, but Mark has us go directly to Caiaphas. As they are in a private home, we need to remember what a bold move this is for Peter, because the people there are his enemies. Jesus was facing a daunting crowd, all of the leaders and chief priests, hoping to convict him. Mark says that Peter is with the guards outside in the courtyard. We know from a different gospel that another of the disciples knows someone in the household. So that's how they get in. But they must not stay together because Peter is here alone. In the 1970s, archaeologists excavated and restored a palace where they believed this trial might have taken place. The courtyard would have been the open space around which the rooms were arranged. Remember that Luke records after the third denial, Jesus turns to look at Peter. So however the residence is arranged, there's an open line of vision for Peter to see the Lord. Where you see the arrow begin here is where they think Peter could have been standing, and where it ends is maybe where Jesus could have been. So while Peter bravely follows Jesus, somewhere along the way, and it maybe seems unknown to even him how, he loses his courage in the questioning of the servant girl and others gathered there. But how grateful we are that he doesn't hold back 
in Mark's telling of what happened, nor does Peter make himself look better than he is to us. We can feel the rawness of what's happening in his interactions. And in these verses, we want to just look at three warning signs that help us understand how Peter got to the point of denying that he knew Jesus at all. And since we're not privy to his inner thought process, it's helpful for us to notice his escalated behavior that gets him down this path. This is a story for everyone who has failed to be the person that they knew they were, which means this is a story for all of us. The first warning sign that Peter was headed for trouble is when he tells Jesus that even though everyone else, all the rest of the disciples will become deserters, he will not. When Jesus tells Peter that before the night is over, he will deny him three times, Peter becomes vehement, strongly arguing and saying, No, Lord, I'm willing to die with you. I'm not going to be one of those people. The rest of these people might, but not me. Now, we know that while it's normal for Peter to announce how committed he is, this should have served as a warning sign. Because whenever we proclaim something in all or nothing terms, we make ourselves vulnerable to that very thing. It is impossible for us to say with absolute certainty that we, what we would always or never do. This is part, of course, of the optimism bias we talked about before, but it can be destructive in our lives when we convince ourselves everyone else might be weak, but we're not. In Proverbs 16, we find a verse that is often quoted, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The endearing part of Peter is that he's not afraid to put himself out there to look like an idiot But this is different. This is somehow he has convinced himself that he will never fail. But no one can promise that. All of us have blind spots. Places we cannot see how our behavior compromises us and hurts others. Even when Jesus says what's going to happen that night, Trying to help Peter, Peter refuses to even acknowledge the possibility that he could do something so awful. While we focus on Peter's denial of his true connection to Jesus, his real denial is actually about his susceptibility to self-preservation. So this is an important warning sign for all of us, but it's one that is extremely hard for us to see. So a good idea would be for you this week to talk to somebody you trust. Somebody you trust their love for you, who knows you well, and ask them, where do you see resolute pride in me that puts me at risk for failure? You see, all of us can look back on our lives and see what results from a lack of humility. So let's pay attention to the places where we believe our own strength is sufficient because it's not. And let's listen when the Lord speaks truth directly to us. The second warning sign is when we suddenly detach ourselves from someone dear to us. 
This is another indication that we may soon act out of the ordinary for who we are. While Peter is boldly following Jesus after his arrest, we see that he does so at a distance. This is one of those situations where things are unraveling quickly and those who are in the middle of the situation can't predict what the outcome will be. It makes sense for Peter to be cautious. He's in enemy territory. Yet not declaring himself as either for or against Jesus makes it seem as though he's just an uninterested observer. For once, Peter's trying to blend in with the crowd. That must have been new behavior for him. To not be seen. But something about him is, of course, unmistakably Galilean. So it is impossible to fool anyone, although he is trying his hardest to do just that. We understand the need to detach from a person in our lives who has hurt us. We know that we have to detach sometimes if someone is engaged in a destructive behavior. When a relationship is toxic or unhealthy, we make boundaries. But Peter had a deep bond with Jesus. They share true life where Peter has followed Jesus, sometimes bumbling his way through, but always faithful. That's why this behavior is a red flag. And we know that it's not about the Lord. It is Peter, again, trying to save his earthly life. I was thinking about how community in this instance is so important. Because Peter was alone, trying to deal with and cope with a painful, scary situation. Had he been with another person, he might have chosen differently. It's important for us to have friends who call us out. If there would have been another disciple there, they may have said, Peter, what are you doing? Can you hear yourself right now? That's Jesus. It's not always to decipher, easy to decipher what's going on inside of us in our relationship with God. Peter's having a moment where everything got very muddy and Weird, And he had to decide if he was going to surrender in that moment to follow Jesus no matter what. Or if he was going to walk away. This is what formation looks like. It's messy. All of us have had moments or seasons where we have separated ourselves from the Lord. Or we have felt very alone and not connected to him. I think it's important for us to acknowledge what Peter is trying to do here. He's not giving up. Detachment is protection of something that we're afraid of. Peter's afraid of something here. And the thing to do when we find ourselves in that place is not just to go with it and to leave, but to examine our hearts and to continue asking God and seeking him. In this instance, Peter detached when confronted with knowing Jesus. It's good to think about who we are when we're not with other believers. Are we noncommittal when someone says, aren't you one of those Jesus followers? If we detach in those moments, we should ask ourselves, what is it about that situation or that person that makes us want to hide our true relationship with Christ? And if we find ourselves suddenly detached from the Lord in general, I would exhort you, don't stay there. Figure out what's happening. Do something every day to find out where God is. Ask your friends to pray for you. Ask others to come alongside you. In those situations, God is doing an important work in you. This was an important 
spiritual discipleship moment for Peter. That's what these moments are. The final warning sign we see is Peter lying and cursing as he fully denies knowing Jesus. His overreaction to random bystanders is proof of how far gone he is. Notice how much he goes off on them, even though they're not actually accusing him of anything. This reminds us what great capacity we have to quickly lie. How easy it is for us to forcefully disown what it is we actually embrace when there is a question we don't want to answer. Since Peter is not being honest with himself, he can't be honest with other people either. Look at the progression. First, he says he doesn't really understand what the servant girl is saying. Secondly, he denies being a member of Jesus' group. Thirdly, he swore an oath saying that he doesn't know the man that they're talking about. More detachment as he pretends to not even know the name of the person on trial. He's getting more desperate, which is what lying does. Now, commentators aren't clear on what Peter is doing here when he swears an oath. He's either calling down curses, invoking the wrath of God on himself, if he is not telling the truth, right? Like, I swear to God, this is true, like that. Or he is cursing Jesus himself. In the early church, of course, those who were persecuted for being a Christian would be told to prove. Prove that you're not his followers by blaspheming his name. That was the test for whether they would live to see another earthly day. And of course, we know that that still happens every day. One of the passages in scripture that resonates with us as we watch Peter go through this is found in Romans. Here, Paul is talking about the law and sin, lamenting how he acts. And he says, oh, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. Here we see Peter living out that truth for everyone to see. And we look at our lives and we say, why? Why did I do that? Why do we do the opposite of what we intend? How many times did Peter tell Jesus, I'm going to die with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to follow you. Why do we act in ways that we never, ever could have imagined? One of the most obvious signs of lying here is overreacting. Peter starts treating someone who's simply asking for clarification for the truth with rudeness, swearing and ranting at them. This kind of behavior often has the intended effect of causing the person asking the question to feel badly or to walk away. Like, whatever, dude, not wanting to have anything to do with that kind of nonsense. We don't know what happened with the bystanders because at that moment, of course, the cock crows again and Peter remembered the words that Jesus had said. This is the best place to end the story. Peter breaks down and weeps as he remembers what Jesus had told him would happen. We know in our lives it is God's word that brings us to conviction, that brings us back to him after we have sinned. 
the best sign that Peter is going to be okay is not one of warning, but of hope. We know he's going to be fine when he weeps because we know his will has been broken. And while we have great capacity to hide in our shame, we are also made to know God and humble ourselves before him. When this happens, we are ready to receive the grace that he wants to give us. Remember that while Jesus was predicting that they would all fall away, he also tells them, I'm going to meet you in Galilee after I rise again. This is an important promise, one that we hope Peter held on to in those days after Jesus died, when they all locked themselves away for fear of what the authorities would do to them. Jesus understood their human frailty, and he makes plans to be with them and tells them that, even though he knows they are all going to desert him. There are so many lessons for us to draw from here, but let's pay attention to the warning signs that show our vulnerability spiritually and relationally. Don't ignore pride, detachment, or overreaction. Stop in those moments and examine why you're doing those things. And like Peter, let's remember no matter how far we fall or wander from how, where God wants us to be, his love for us remains unchanged. His death and resurrection restore our very lives if we're willing to die to ourselves by believing in his name. So what lessons will you take from this story today? Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.